Hey everyone, I'm the soup Carrie traded Miranda for a sandwich and fries. <laughs> and I'm Shannon. I'm also intending to haunt a lamp in my next life. <laughs> the best kind of haunting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is about that scene. I feel like for me, it was such a minuscule scene when they're having lunch and Carrie is like eyeing up Miranda's sandwich and fries or vice versa. But for some reason, that stuck out to me so much because if I had fries, there's no way I'm trading for soup. And I love soup. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a very bizarre in the moment, like switch in, in one's lunch order. <laughs> 100%. I'm sorry I can't. Don't hate me. The motherfucker's concise. I revealed too much too soon. I was emotionally slutty. Okay, I'm a big whore. I think we have a stiff breeze. I'll give you $100 if you say something bitchy about someone we know. That's bullshit! Why are we here today? So, of course, in episode six of the podcast, we discussed all of our thoughts and feelings over two and a half hours about the first half of And Just Like That. Um, so today is sort of a continuation of that. We're going to talk about the last five episodes, as well as all of our hopes and dreams for season two of And Just Like That, which... I'm pretty optimistic. I feel like at the time we're recording this, the news seems to be pretty good for a season two. And I think you've probably heard a little bit more about that. Yeah, I've heard that like people are like ready for season two. They're, I wouldn't say signed on officially, but I think they're just mm -hmm. holding out for Sarah Jessica Parker and Michael Patrick King to figure out what the creative direction for that season would be. Um, this this season actually was based a lot on some of the lead, or was based on what the third Sex in the City movie would have been. So I think there was some recycling of that script. So season two would be like completely new territory to explore. So I think before they, they officially announce it, they have to decide, what are we doing? <laughs> which Absolutely. thank you yeah please make those decisions <laughs> yeah and please don't rush them too I you can really feel when a series or I, I think <laughs> this makes me think of Pokemon but when you know things people want it they know they'll spend the money and watch it and then they just rush it so I can appreciate you know writers taking their time to kind of officially green light and say everything is okay um I didn't know that. Is Sarah Jessica Parker actually a producer or how much say does she have? Yeah. Yeah. So actually all three of the main ladies are executive producers on the show. And it sounds like, I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker has an understandably very large stake in, in that, but it also sounds like Cynthia Nixon had a lot of say over the direction for what happened this season because she she was a producer and also directed I think at least one episode mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah they they all I think have some some kind of say I don't really know about Kristen Davis so much <laughs> I know she has a lot of humanitarian stuff going on so who knows maybe she doesn't have the time yeah <laughs> um but overall um 
we kind of talked about last episode, we talked about like how much we liked the show and the things we didn't like so much about the show, especially that first half. In my personal opinion, I think the writers took some really big swings and misses, but I think that their hits were pretty strong and I have high hopes for season two. Um, We kind of talked about uh, (laughs) that'll most likely happen. So looking forward to that. Um, But what would you like to see Shannon in season two? Okay, this sounds really mean, but I want to see Miranda get her heart broken. Like, sorry, I don't want this relationship with Che to become a thing. Like, I want Miranda to experience a real core shaking heartbreak and come back to New York and really be in that single moment again and exploring her queerness in in New York City and like figuring out what that means at at age 50 and, you know, exploring things that she never has before. I feel like in the decision to kind of have her go along with Che and really commit fully to, to that relationship, it's kind of limiting this like full picture of, and, and storylines really of just like all the different ways that Miranda could go in exploring this new chapter of her life without Steve and maybe without um such a without like defining herself in those kind of like traditional roles as being like a mother and being you know a working I don't know breadwinner for for their family so yeah I would really love to see that and I would love to see I I really I can't remember where I heard this but I really want Che's pilot to be named hey it's Che Diaz (laughs) and I want Miranda to just like see that like everywhere and you know have that kind of like come up as a struggle for her um but yeah I I want her to explore that new chapter of her life and similarly I'd also love for Carrie to really lean into being single and have like have some hot dates have some hot sex like (laughs) I, I want her to just live freely away from the big of it all you know yeah, I 100% agree with you. And I think that that, with regarding Carrie, like that might kind of return some of the funness, for lack of a better word, that the fans have been missing and why it seems to be getting a lot of negative response. And I totally 100% agree with you about Miranda and Che. I think we need a full-out heartbreak. And I think, I mean, we saw in the documentary, um, that originally Miranda's character was written to have some sort of queer awakening with Naya, um, which I know you and I have chatted about that eventually we could see that chemistry happening. But the more I thought about it, and I was chatting about it with Jamie this morning, um, (laughs) because we were, of course, re-watching the episodes this morning, um, but it did make sense for Miranda to sort of have that awakening with somebody who was out and proud and confident in themselves. And I, I think that while <laughs> very rocky and chaotic, of course, um, I think it made sense. I think that Cynthia Nixon kind of made that right decision in guiding that in that direction. But 100%, it can't be all what's the expression? Daisies and roses, <laughs> something, something, something flowers. Um, I think that there needs to be that heartbreak because I don't think that the chemistry is there. I think Miranda is excited. 
for lack of a better word, I think she's excited about the idea of Che, but not actually in love with Che. Do you know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I like that phrasing too, of just, you know, it, going through that first major heartbreak. I think I, I agree with you. I think that's really important. My frustration really comes from the like how Miranda knows Naya and I would have really loved for Naya's character to have been queer from the onset. So not to say that Miranda had to explore like a relationship with her, but just like, so that could be a more feasible storyline for the future. That could be really interesting and honestly just make a little bit more sense to me why they're so close, even if they're friends and, you know, they don't explore a, a romantic partnership like that, that would be totally fine. But if they were both like queer women who were exploring like the city and um, yeah, I don't know, that would <laughs> make a little bit more sense than this professor student relationship and bonding over motherhood, maybe. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see how Miranda explores that. I definitely don't want and I think most of the fan base does not want them to be together. So I wonder how the writers will respond to that and how they'll sort of address this exploration phase in Miranda's life. Um, for me, I have two main things I want. And I want a Samantha feud. I want them, <laughs> speaking of heartbreak and despair, I want... Carrie and Samantha, because I I do, I can like totally appreciate how they've addressed, you know, Kim Control not being there and the character not being there. And I, th I think most of the steps that they took made sense. I think the finale episode was weird. And when it, you know, when they kind of decided to meet up for a drink or whatever, without ever seeing that character, without ever, you know, like actually addressing it in a real way. I just kind of think it's done now, you know, like you've done it, you've addressed the Samantha character. And I do find that it would be believable that there would be like a dirty martini, dirty bastard moment, but a la text message <laughs> between Carrie and Samantha. Cause I, I just want these like weird text message scenes to end. I don't know about you. I don't know. Like, do you want to see that continue? Not really. <laughs> I'd like some more, you know, if you're going to have Samantha exist as a character off screen, um, and it, it does sound, unfortunately, like Kim Cattrall is never coming back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you're going to have this character exist completely off screen, I would love to see different ways. I don't know. I would just love to see something different than Carrie texting her every so often Uh saying like I walked past La Perla and bought a <laughs> it seems kind of I don't know kind of clunky and, and awkward that way yeah it's it's a little clunky and like I said I appreciate that they did it that way I actually did really like that but um I would rather see that screen time go to someone like Seema or LTW or you know or Naya sort of these new characters and like allowed them that time to sort of grow and develop in the friends lives because friendships change and friendships end at any age and and I I don't want to sound super pessimistic, but it's like, you know, nothing necessarily lasts forever and 
I think that you can still kind of preserve that theme from the original show and keep it going on because the friendships with Carrie and Miranda and Charlotte are so strong in there. But I think it's also like sort of a heartbreaking reality that things don't always work out the way you think they might. Um, which is sort of a huge theme throughout the show anyways, like change, <laughs> change as a theme that we constantly see, that we constantly see the characters like address and grapple with. Like, I think it makes sense that Miranda, or not Miranda, Samantha would just be gone, you know? I feel like that sounds very pessimistic of me, but. <laughs> no, I, I like that. That is true. And I've seen a lot of critique yeah, about how they dealt with Samantha's absence and you know, people being supportive of it, people being really critical of it. Um, but I, I do think you're right. And I think all of us have this kinds of friends that, you know, something happened, whether it was an all out fight or like a rift in, in the relationship. And maybe it doesn't result in like you two never talking again, but we do have those friendships where like once upon a time we were really, really close. And then now the relationship is more like we text every so often and mm. give, give each other like an update. And that, that is a really real aspect of friendship. Um, that, yeah, I believe it happens. And like you said, there's so many other really interesting characters that given the screen time and the storyline could be more fully explored and just like really add to this universe rather than people constantly being upset <laughs> that like one character out of four is is missing. There's three new characters. There there could be so many more um, opportunities to, to really bring them into the fold and, and love them in, in similar ways. Yeah, 100%. And the other thing, speaking of exploring these new characters, is I actually am, like, really interested in the kids. Like, I'm really interested in, I love the little moments throughout the series where Lily and Rock sort of had, like, moments with each other. And you saw that as siblings and having that sort of understanding and, like, love for each other. Um, that I would like far, far down the line. I was almost thinking of like Degrassi earlier. <laughs> I would love to see that sort of like explored a little bit more, even introducing one of their friends as sort of like a hint or a nod to like a future generation that could potentially exist. Of course, that would be like so far in the future, but I really, I don't know what it was about those little moments, but I really like felt that and I would really like to sort of see it move in that direction I need to see those kids go to euphoria high this is, <laughs> oh this is the spinoff <laughs> also like I wonder I just thought like I wonder because Brady is shown kind of at the in the very last episode going on a backpacking trip what in the worst like? in the worst backpacking outfit. He's wearing a full Canadian tuxedo. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In in what universe is that a comfortable plain outfit? But like what what Euro tripper is is he going on? And does he meet Samantha? Does he <gasps> does he meet Samantha in a different way than, than he knew her when she was babysitting him? I don't know. Oh my gosh. What a weird thing. Didn't Samantha say in Sex in the City that when he like when he was a baby, she said that how she would help out is that she would when he turns 18 or I guess 21, of course, in the United States, that she would take him out for his 21st birthday and hit on all his cute friends. That could happen. 
Blendon's oh calling, Brady. You better answer. <laughs> I love it. Okay, just kidding. Bring Samantha back. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that, yeah. I mean, that's that's a that's a different show. We have a couple spinoffs. <laughs> yeah, we have some spinoffs. Uh, spinoff dreams. I love it. Um, yeah, I think like overall, and I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but there was a lot of like public disappointment. Like people were talking about, um, you know, how much they miss Samantha, of course, and how they kind of didn't love the show. And I think that really came from that nostalgia and love for the original Sex in the City, but I think that fans needed to do a little bit of expectation management, not to sound like an HR manager or something, but (laughs) I think that like, first of all, this is a new show. It's a new show. It has a different name. Um, They're in a different time in their lives. It's, it's new and we can love sex in the city for what it is. And we do, but I think you have to like, appreciate that. I even saw a rage tweet about and just like that and they sort of like framed it like oh the new season of sex in the city and i i don't know what has happened but i feel like our twitter account i've been a little spicy just once just like very mildly spicy like a like a tabasco of spice um but yeah it's like yes it's the same universe and i understand that but it's just simply not the same show and i think you kind of have to go into it with that expectation. Well, I think that there is like that, that was the really confusing part of the show was that it made a lot of distinct decisions to not be the same show, different title, like completely different tone, very much like focused on a more dramedy kind of exploration of, of these characters and this universe, like that to- totally different show. But there were also just so many callbacks to the original show in really subtle ways and like less subtle ways, like through dialogue, through outfit callbacks. So it also makes just that distinction of like exploring a completely new universe a little bit more blurry and confusing um because we're constantly being reminded of like this happened in the original show or like that's that's a cheeky nod to like what the what the characters i don't know did like 20 30 years ago so like i i get how it's confusing for people to to see the two as distinct but also like kind of connected in different ways that's true. That makes sense. I wonder how they could do it in such a way. Cause I, I do think, I don't know. I like, I like the callbacks, but yeah. How do you write that or how do you present that in a way that's not confusing for fans? Totally. Cause like they also made a lot of t- like a lot of distinct decisions that were not aligned with what the original characters who, who they were, what they would have done. And we, we talked about this in, in our last episode, but talking about how Miranda is a weird, like, technophobe now <laughs> and doesn't listen to to podcasts, doesn't know what a Kindle is or chooses not to carry one, chooses to get a workout and carry, like, 400 pounds of textbooks with her everywhere. But, you know, like, those, those kind of differences and departures from the original character are, they, again, that's just kind of added to this really confusing mix of, where are we? What's happening? <laughs> Who <Yeah>. are you? <laughs> well, you're kind of familiar, but 
I don't know anymore. Yeah, I totally see what you mean. And we're going to get into it. But yeah, it especially with a character like Miranda's, who I can completely appreciate that they wanted to take a stable character and see what happens when they lose control a little bit. Um, but it was just such a far departure that it was it was hard to like feel that connection. And then with those little like Easter eggs thrown in there, it was it was quite jarring. So yeah, I can I can totally see that. Yeah. There is there is like, you know, I think one of the reasons why we really fell in love with Miranda in the original series was her kind of sarcastic, dry you know, approach to what some of these other characters were going through, right? And I noticed like little flecks of that kind of throughout, but yeah, just the chaos of her storyline, her many storylines <laughs> was, it really overshadowed some of those, some of those like points of familiarity where I'm like, okay, this is the character that I remember. Like I can see Miranda, one of my favorite lines in, in one of the, the episodes that we'll talk about today is like I, I instantly repressed that <laughs> that moment when she's talking about getting her period um, in front of like a courtroom of people. I'm like, that's Miranda. That is a Miranda line, but it gets overshadowed by the fucking bananas chaos that is happening with her character in all of those different story arcs. Well, and the thing is, too, is that you didn't need to remove that part of who Miranda is. Like, I, I would 100% believe that Che would be attracted to somebody who had that sort of sarcastic wit. And while I can understand that Miranda's a little flustered, um, even relating to her in a way that when I first kind of became more public about my queerness, it's like you do feel a little more flustered than you have, or I at least I did, in previous relationships. So I can appreciate that. But at the same time, like you said, we get these little pieces and bits of Miranda being <laughs> being her authentic self. And I do think that, especially throughout the second half of season one, like where she, you know, starts getting into more of a relationship with Che, et cetera, et cetera. Like she would have those moments. Like she would be that witty, sarcastic sort of um, blunt person that she was. And Che would love it. Like that's the kind of person that I believe they would be attracted to. And that's the kind of person that I believe they might like truly fall for. You know what I mean? Like even we'll get into it talking about the episodes, but yeah, I, I think those sort of moments were missing and I can see why people were feeling a little bit like let down by that. Um, but yeah, I think overall, like we do see change as this sort of like constant theme that they talk about it quite frequently. Um, and actually we're going to get into this in an, in another episode, I think our next episode that we're releasing, but it's really common to believe that once you sort of achieve these quote unquote milestones, for example, like marriage house kids, like I think it's easy to take that, first show sex in the city it's like oh they found love they found true love they've like settled into their lives <laughs> except i guess i'm not counting the movies really but you know it's it's easy to sort of get caught up in that expectation that once you find these things and you check those off your list that then you're good you know your life doesn't change and that's 
simply not true. I mean, I'm only 30, but <laughs> I've had conversations with my parents and I don't think we see that reflected in the media as much. You know, that like once you are older, once you get into your 50s, perhaps it's like, oh, life is just the same and you're happy and you're settled and comfortable. And while I might relate to Steve in a way that's like, well, I just want the most lit Sunday bar and I just want to sit on the couch. That might not be where I'll be at when I'm 50. (laughs) So I think that um, having the sort of expectation that, you know, life ends at 40 or whatever. I think that it's just, it's just, it's hard. I I see why people feel disappointed, but I don't know. You have to accept the change, you know? Also, of course, Samantha is missed. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Um, I think that, I mean, obviously Kim Cattrall had an incredibly negative experience and does not want to come back. We can't expect her to come back. Um, and it's like we talked about also very realistic that these these lives would change and these characters would change, which is why I want a full on feud so that we could sweep her under the rug. I honestly don't even, I don't know. I wonder how they'll address that in the second season. Yeah. Or or if they will, maybe Samantha just like doesn't just off screen forevermore. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she will die in the universe, like an unofficial like character death of just being written off. Yeah, maybe they have to bring back uh, Bitsy von Muffling to to give the <laughs> announcement somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or everyone's favorite assistant Gloria, <laughs> my most oh cherished my character. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I already completely forgot about her, but yes. <laughs> so, of course, we're going to get into the second part of the season, which I think personally has a very big upswing, um, except for the finale. What the heck? But we'll get into it. I have some thoughts. Um, yes. about Because I've been reflecting a lot on the show and how I feel about it. And I think one of the biggest misses for me in, and I did love the show, and I say this as a person who obviously like, I, I love, I love the show. I love these characters. So this comes from a place of love, but I, I think like the really big difference between this exploration of the characters and the original show is the lack of, and just like that's aspirational quality. Um, so at the time of the first series, like their lives as 30 something women was not only aspirational to their generation, which is like Gen X, like older Gen X, um, you know, seeing a 30 something woman, like living her life, you know, having, uh, having a life outside of some of those really stereotypical cultural milestones, like getting married and having a house and settling down, having kids, whatever. Um, So like just seeing that on screen, seeing that life as a 30 something woman was really, really impactful at the time that Sex and the City aired. But at the same time, it was also really, really inspirational or aspirational, I should say, to a younger generation, to millennials like us, who saw these women living really fabulous lives, having hot sex, wearing gorgeous clothes, going to all the hottest places, 
literally my knowledge of New York comes from <laughs> Sex and the City. I know what Bungalow 8 is because of Sex and the City <laughs> or pasties. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I saw that as like a 16, 17 year old. And I was like, that's what I want. I want my life in my 30s to be that fabulous, too. And I can see this and I can like there was something aspirational and kind of tangible, but having like a different dream for what my life was going to look like at that point versus just thinking like I'm like doomed to, <laughs> I guess, like settle down and like get married and have kids and that kind of thing. So it just gave me like something more to hope for to like to to work towards. And I like I literally wanted to move to New York because of the show. I made efforts to make that fucking happen to like move to the east coast and like explore that that time in my life which yeah that's another story but um <laughs> that's where the show misses the mark for me that's where and just like that misses the mark it's it's not aspirational like i want to see hot 50 something women living fucking fabulous lives having hot sex wearing gorgeous clothes like uh going to hot places hot clubs and stuff like i want to that's what I want to aspire to as somebody who's like going to be entering my thirties. Like I want to dream of my life in my fifties and like hope for something more than again, like those kind of like stereotypes of being settled and uh, not having hot sex. I don't know. <laughs> like I don't. So it just like that really showed us like a lot of harder storylines, like marriages failing and spouses dying and fertility issues. Um, but like, I don't, that's not aspirational to me. Like, I want to believe in hope that there's something more than, you know, entering my fifties and like being reminded of how fucking badly menopause fucks up your sex drive and your lubrication. Like, I don't, like, I know that happens already. No one has to tell me that, but I want to like envision, yeah, just, just like a different, a different life path where reality isn't so dire. Cause like I, I live in reality. I know it's very dire. Um, yeah. And like the only the only aspirational piece of and just like that that I can kind of like understand and like maybe kind of I don't know kind of resonates is just the thought that one day I might not be so financially strapped for cash that I can imagine <laughs> owning an apartment or a home <laughs> like mm, but even then that's kind of like that's a really thin thing to like aspire to of being like so redonkulously wealthy that I can buy a waterfront apartment and then sell it the next day when there's a mysterious beeping I can't like <laughs> determine the origin of like Carrie that was a was that a carbon monoxide detector like were you being poisoned that that is the real <laughs> yeah that's a real question that's is she okay question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah so like I I think it's really confusing because I don't know who the writers were really speaking to when they were writing this. Like, mm -hmm. are you speaking to people like from that original, like older Gen X that are now like entering their 50s? Like, are you speaking to a younger generation that grew up with the show? Are you trying to like tap into like an even younger generation and have them like aspire to this? Like, who are you talking to and who are you writing for? Because there are elements of all of that combined into like one kind of weird uh thing that is totally very <laughs> all over the place right um and I, I will say too that like even though I didn't find and just like that as aspirational as the original show I do think there's a lot of progress in seeing characters in their mid-50s like Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, Seema um in 
that kind of place in their life where they are fuller, they are living fuller lives than, you know, for example, the Golden Girls who were the same ages and were depicted as like, didn't, did they live in like a retirement facility? <laughs> like they were like same age, but like totally different um, portrayal of what life is like at that point in your life. Um, so yeah, I just, <laughs> I really hope that season two taps into that aspirational quality a little bit more. Like after your spouse dies, I want to believe that <laughs> there's something more that you can still have like a really full exploration of of singledom again after that you know like anyway yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, I absolutely love that point I think you really hit the nail on the head and that's why people might have been feeling or people our age who are similar in fandom to the show but it's funny you brought up euphoria earlier because I just started watching euphoria so no spoilers I'm only on episode seven but of course you kind of have to go into it to a show like that with and you have to be able to suspend your belief is it suspend your disbelief or suspend your belief suspend your disbelief yeah totally (laughs) that makes more sense but i think you have to and it's same with sex in the city it's like when you're watching sex in the city this is not a real depiction of new york this is not a real depiction it has it's almost like you have to look at it like a fantasy with elements of realness which is very much euphoria and euphoria like taps into that. Like euphoria is like a dream state, which I love. And I'm not to say that I want, (laughs) and just like that to be covered in makeup and drugs. I just want, (laughs) but maybe, (laughs) Oh my God. Maybe they could go to a real pride event and not that puny little one at the beginning of they need to go to like a sex, like a sex yes. positive festival. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe like I would love to see that. It's like, I think that they, you're right. Like they sort of, it's not that it's not real, but they sort of like need to tread that line of like that aspirational quality of like, you know, hopeful something that's a little bit more exciting and maybe there'll be more room for that in season two I'm optimistic yeah and I I think that when I think of Charlotte and all of my like love hate relationship with with that character I think part of that comes back to like that is an aspirational to me to like I, I want to be like a person that has a career that I'm proud of and that like I, I continue working in. I, I don't want to leave that for for marriage and I don't want my life to be centered around children. And that's totally fine if like that's something that that you do want and that's that's what, what drives you, but that doesn't drive me. And that's like a really big disconnect between me and that character mm-hmm. from the original show. And then just seeing Charlotte's storylines in this is just like... Ugh, like, <laughs> totally. uh, not for me. <laughs> and that could be part of the reason we're so drawn to Seema because Seema kind of is more of a repre- representation of that. Like she is in her early fifties, like, yeah, she wants a man, but she, she's also like super confident and happy with where she's at. Um, 
and even like we'll get into it but the second part of the season she meets this really hot guy she's having great sex like she's going to dance clubs with carrie (laughs) i mean getting rejected but you know she's going out she's doing the thing and she's confident and happy about that so that's you know that is hopeful to me and i would i'm i'm hoping that she would get more screen time i think she will obviously she will 100 invite that woman to every brunch because yeah exactly that's why i love her (laughs) a different different vision of you know what your what your 50s can look like i want that i want to believe that well shall we get into the episodes yeah let's do it okay So last time, of course, we talked about episodes one to five. So we will start with episode six, which is the Diwali episode, um, where Carrie buys, of course, the ultra modern apartment and hates vitamin D. And like, okay, I hate that apartment. I it's too modern for me. It's I I think it's kind of ugly, but I love sun. (laughs) We were kind of talking about this before we even started. Like, I actually love those huge windows. Carrie's such a the the thing that like i i i like a cloudy day that's a thing that kind of drives me however i would be the kind of person that i would need like a bunch of sad lamps installed (laughs) to to give me that like uh that boost but it's just seeing her apartment i think like how could you sleep (laughs) The amount of money that I personally would want to invest in blackout blinds for the entirety of that like glass box of an apartment would be too much. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I can understand that. And, you know, that's very New York of you. I feel like that's very like New York Paris to love that like cloudy, dreary weather. But anyways, matches she buys- <laughs> it matches your soul. <laughs> Love it. Um, Also in this episode, Lily and Rock want to update their shared bedroom to more rightfully reflect their age. Um, Seema invites Carrie, of course, to the Diwali celebration um, where her fake man, Dennis, is exposed by Carrie. Um, And there's a really good scene in this one, too, where Anthony and Carrie see the plastic surgeon who's played from that it is i looked it up he is the guy from um mind hunter and he's very cute but anyways <laughs> and then this is where this is one of the most memorable scenes for me of the series where carrie miranda and charlotte have the picnic where uh miranda confesses that she has been fantasizing about che and then she tells charlotte um about the incident in Carrie's apartment. Um, I like this episode. I I think that the scene, like Seema struggling with her family pressure feels very real. It brings a lot of like, I mean, earlier we were just talking about how Seema has that sort of like strong, independent woman quality about her. She's like having the hot sex. She's like living the high life, but she's still dealing with this like very real family pressure from her parents. Um, And I feel like that's something we don't really hear about much from people in their 50s or people don't really. I mean, at least in the media I'm consuming, of course, but I'm probably not the target audience, but 
anyways, I, I can really appreciate seeing like such a strong character dealing with something that seems like it might not be a problem at that age, but of course it is for a lot of people. Um, and we sort of see like Carrie getting back into online dating here and Seema does sort of continue to have that belief that there is the one. So we kind of, I, I think I love this episode because we really start to get to know Seema here. Yeah, I I also really liked that. And, you know, something that they didn't really do in the original series was explore the parents of each of the characters, right? There, <laughs> there's... um been a a very big like fan I don't know fantasization or like call for us to meet Carrie's mother um probably probably not gonna happen now but um people have cast Carrie's mother as like a whole bunch of different like fabulous um older women one of them is Carol Kane from the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt (laughs) the older older lady with the curly hair um Anyway, that would be really cool. But yeah, that that was kind of an interesting dynamic that that we haven't that we haven't seen before or explored on the show. Just what do your parents think of your life, and and how does that impact like the way that you live it, and like what you bring back to to tell them about like what what you're doing. And it is it, it does add some dimension to Seema's character because we see her as a very strong like businesswoman, assured of herself like knows what the fuck she's doing when it comes to like real estate living her life but then yeah it adds some dimension when we meet her parents and like oh there's actually like a very real pressure of like how they expect her to live her life and navigating that dynamic is is really tricky for her and it doesn't necessarily get as as you pointed out it doesn't get easier as you get older necessarily it just continues it can just continue i should say Mm-hmm. And I really do like those moments in the original series where they do sort of explore those relationships with their families, because, you know, when you have such strong friendships, you meet their families and you kind of and you even if they don't live in the same city, there's going to be some sort of connection there or even speaking about it like your family sort of makes you who you are in a big way. And I, I think that that is sort of missed in the original series. So yeah, it was really cool. Not not only that though, but the outfits, fucking incredible. <laughs> I thought that was just like a really nice scene and and a really, um, yeah, just like a really nice scene. Yeah, even, you know, just thinking about like Trey's character from the original series, part of what made Trey so fascinating was the family element, was his mm-hmm. weird relationship with his mother. And that whole that whole scene that brings it back to Connecticut and what we get some like insight into what they expect marriage to look like within the Dougal family. And it's not that picture perfect like thing that Charlotte expected. And then as well, we also see Miranda's mother dying. We, we don't meet her, but even that episode kind of gives us like, you know, some really interesting hints into like who these characters are. Um, yeah. Anyway, just, it is, it is like an interesting, I, I'm glad that they, they brought this in because it is an interesting development for Seema. Yeah. 100%. Um, for me, the really high point of this episode though, of course, is at the end when Carrie goes back to her old apartment. Um, 
it just makes sense. I kind of love when she questions it. Like she she's having, I think, lunch or something with the girls. And she says, oh, I don't want to be that person in the apartment that's like, I've been living here for 40 years, blah, blah, blah. So she's sort of like questioning, like going back to her old life. But to me, the apartment is almost like a character in itself. Like there were so many storylines that revolved around that apartment. And it's it really like feels like an extension of Carrie. And I think like to go back to that sort of like comfort or to go back to it, I I really love that. I completely agree. And if you even just think about where Carrie's at in that moment, like your your marriage is suddenly gone. Like it was, it was like ripped away from you in, in so many ways. And you defined yourself for, I don't know, probably the better part of a, of a decade at this point, like as a married woman, as someone like living and navigating this life with this other person. And then that's gone. And you're thrown back into this, like, who am I? What am I doing? How do I move forward from here? Cause like this huge part of, yeah, of how you lived your life and how you saw yourself is just suddenly like away. So it makes so much sense that she would go back to that familiar aspect of like who she was before being married and who she was before living that part of her life. So it was, it was not only like really like nice for that to happen, but it was really familiar and warming for fans to see that too. Cause it's like, we know that apartment we know what the fuck went down there. We know all the <laughs> diaphragms that were found. <laughs> we know all of the all of the hot sex that they watched, like out of the window with a package of gummy bears. Like we like that is really familiar for fans as well. But it's also just really nice and understandable for for Carrie's character as well. Mm-hmm. Were there any other highlights in that episode for you? Yeah, I, I. I really loved the plastic surgeon scene. I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting as well. I I thought it was well written how they kind of explored this idea of having the past like 15 years erased versus not and how, and exploring that specifically through plastic surgery, which for, for women and for older women, especially is, uh, an enormous pressure to like <laughs> remove 15 years of, um, of aging to, to look like you're 20 or 30. Um, so I, I really, really liked that scene and it was just, yeah, I thought it was really funny. Um, but I really liked the picnic scene. I really appreciated that, that, that felt like, that felt like the original series, but done in like a, maybe in a more dramatic tone because we had each of those three characters like really kind of voicing their viewpoints and like working through something, um, working through something kind of tough and like having like a real conversation about it. It didn't, um, it felt like a real moment of friendship that I really appreciated. It's funny that so many of these scenes that stand out to us, like even the soup scene for me and like the picnic scene, there's so much that revolves around just like sitting around a table and talking. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but it's like with your friendships, like it's like you, I don't know, for me personally, like I see my friends all the time, but there's something different around like sitting and having a really intentional conversation rather than just like, 
anything else. Um, and you're right, that scene like felt feels very much like they are themselves. Um, the confrontation, the Carrie like needing Miranda to come back, like I don't, you know, I can't, I can't suffer another loss, basically, like it just felt very, it felt very heartfelt. And it felt that real like connection, like you felt the characters sort of like, come back to each other in a way. So yeah, very powerful, very memorable scene. Totally. And it, it gave me some vibes too of Carrie in the original series going through something that her friends really didn't agree with. Like, I, I just think of her moaning about breaking up with Big for the umpteenth time and all of her friends being like, go to therapy. We can't do this anymore. Like, stop. <laughs> you need to, you need to get help. So yeah, it was interesting to have Miranda in that position and have both Carrie and Charlotte well, more so Charlotte, I guess, um, kind of, yeah, kind of like push back a little bit, I guess, on, on where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. I love the moments. I mean, we talked about it in the last episode uh, where she addresses the art when she's at LTW's house for dinner. And it just like really feels like her. Like, I, I feel like with Charlotte, she puts... And this is what Charlotte kind of wanted her whole life. She wanted to be a mom and she's a strong mom. She's a powerful mom. She is like a multi-dimensional person as a mom, but it's actually like really in these moments where we remember, it's almost like we remember Charlotte as a friend, like as, as her own individual entity. And we do kind of see that a few times in the second half of this season. Yeah, and it, that, that's such a good point, too. And that, that just makes me think of where where do I want season two to go? And I actually want to see less of Charlotte being a mom. I want to see Charlotte explore. I don't know. She mentioned she's like on the board for the Met or the MoMA or something. Like, I want to see her explore more of that or, um, I don't know, join LTW and a documentary about art <laughs> or like, I don't know. Like, there's so many different ways that you could take it, but I I would love to see Charlotte explore more storylines outside of just motherhood. Yeah, I agree 100%. So the next episode after that, Sex and the Widow. So this is when Carrie has her first online dating experience after some encouragement from her editor. And it's funny, I was thinking about this moment because earlier we were talking about that sort of aspirational or hopeful quality that was sort of missing. And this is sort of addressed by her editor in this exact moment. Like she, she's like, yeah. And then the ending, it's, it's kind of bleak. It's kind of missing like what your fans want. And it's, it's almost a little bit like meta referential or something because it is like, yes, maybe the first five episodes of this, like have been a little bleak and missing that sort of like funness. I don't think that funness is a word, but I've now used it twice. So now it's a word. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so she, her editor kind of addresses that, says like, oh, we want a little bit more hopeful. So of course, Carrie agrees to go on this date with the really cute teacher, Peter. Um, Miranda super weakly attempts to rekindle her sex life with Steve after Che doesn't respond to her DMs. Um, Charlotte and Harry fight after a tennis match. Um, 
Naya and Andre decide to go off IVF and try to conceive naturally. And LTW and Charlotte host the fundraising auction where Carrie's date Peter bids on her <laughs> after their like tumultuous date. Um, and Miranda sees Che and then they go off and have sex. And then Miranda tells them that she loves them, which is chaos reigns. <laughs> Yeah, fuck. There's there's a lot of chaos <laughs> in this episode. I like kind of love it. I okay, I watched this episode for the first time with Jamie and we were watching it and when they both threw up, we were like laughing and we were like, "Oh my god, like what a great foundation for dating." I know it's gross and I know like of course that's embarrassing and humiliating, but you both threw up. Like that's funny. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm gross. <laughs> yeah and like you didn't throw up on the other person like it wasn't just you did it and the other person watched and was horrifically judging you for it um yeah you there's that's like kind of a shared moment of humiliation that I could kind of see moving forward with that being said I have publicly like vomited I will and I will never forget <laughs> I was like I was eight years old and I projectile vomited like all over the classroom and like oh. nobody like made me feel bad about it but it was it was really embarrassing <laughs> I guess if every other person in the class was throwing up maybe it would have been fucking gross but um yeah I don't know I can I can kind of understand that but like yeah I it was like it was kind of gross and like I don't know like a moment of levity in and otherwise kind of dark, I don't know, some like dark moments too um, in this episode. And I guess with Carrie's story arc up until that point. Yeah, I I think it just showed. And of course, they're already in a vulnerable position, you know, like they're on their first date after their spouses had died. And they're sort of like going through this like vulnerable moment together. And then to have that like incredibly embarrassing and vulnerable moment, Jamie and I were like, he's great. She should date him. <laughs> I do fucking love Peter. And I'll bring up why with the last episode, because I feel extremely passionately about it. But <laughs> um, yeah, like in like Carrie went on that date for partially for an ending to her book. What a fucking perfect antidote or antidote anecdote to to conclude your memoir. I went on my first date and we both threw up. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of funny. Like end your memoir like that. Just things are looking up, but my body is having some intense reactions to it. Like entering re-entering the dating world is kind of rocky and full of vomit. I don't know. <laughs> Like there's different ways that you could make that like that. That's it. She, like she didn't have to go any further than that. It didn't have to be like a perfect like neat in a bow uh, story to conclude her memoir. I think that would actually be kind of like fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I wonder how that memoir turned out. Hopefully we'll find out, I suppose. In the second season, a book tour returning to San Francisco. Maybe Mr. Wiggles opens for her again. <laughs> Oh my God. I would love that. I would love that so much. Mr. Wiggles, unfortunately, is probably no longer with us, but I, I would love to see Mr. Wiggles' kin. Yeah, maybe Mr. Right Wiggles the second. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But that it's interesting you bring that up because there is a lot of talk of other cities, like even Miranda going to Cleveland and of course Miranda going to LA. Some of my favorite episodes are when they travel. And I think that 
there's a lot of like mention of other cities and of course not enough time to actually like send Miranda to Cleveland or send Miranda to LA, but I am hoping to see a little bit more of that in season two. I would, I would love to see a book tour with Carrie and see how the response is met with sort of her bigger audience now and maybe Mr. Wiggles the second is opening for her instead. <laughs> Mr. Wiggles the second, that's my father. <laughs> Just call me Wiggles. <laughs> um, oh you know, God. you're so right though. Like some of the best show or best shows best episodes of the original series were when they went to different cities um mm -hmm. like a hot in cleveland crossover yes like oh <laughs> let's, let's make it happen or yeah returning to la those were yeah some of the, like the highlights of of the first season so i i agree i think that would be a really cool thing to explore and it would also be interesting to explore carries on this book tour for a memoir that's about her exploring grief and like the death of her husband that would be an interesting like point of tension with like carrie in a place where she's ready to move on and date she's like going on this book door talking about this grief like you know going through that all over again and then at the same time dates <laughs> like having fun like that could be an interesting like dynamic to explore. Ah, even like online dating like tinder in a new city like yeah i think that could be super fun i love it yeah um, another thing that stood out to me in this episode, of course, was like Charlotte with Harry. And I did feel like this was a little shoehorned in. The writing was a little bit choppy, in my opinion. But again, like earlier, we were talking about how we'd like to see more of Charlotte as sort of an independent character outside of being a mom. While I love seeing her thrive as a mom, it was really like these moments that stood out to me. Like even just the facts, I remember watching this and when Harry's like, well, I can I come and blah, blah, blah. And like, I get it. You know, your partner wants to do stuff with you. And that's, that's completely 100% fair. But at the same time, Charlotte puts like all her love and all her effort. LTW even says it to her in a later episode. Like you literally do everything for everyone around you all the time. Um, that I can really appreciate like Charlotte's frustration with Harry for a wanting to join and on her like sort of getaway activity and B when he's so like needy and demanding of her apology. Like, I don't know. I, I, I liked how they sort of explored that because up until now it's, I mean, of course, after they got married, everything's kind of been great with them. And I do like that they explore that sort of like, well, we're not the perfect family. Because nobody is. <laughs> no, 100%. And like, again, bringing it back to like that aspirational quality of Charlotte that I struggle with. Uh, it's not aspirational to have a fight with your husband in the middle of a street um mm -hmm. but it's also like it's really difficult to connect to a character that has a seemingly perfect life so it, it's hard for me to connect to a character whose marriage seems to be like perfect and they're having like lots of sex that they don't really show on screen or you know like all her relationship with her children is is wonderful and very involved like on various parenting committees and whatever like I, I find that personally really difficult to connect to because there isn't a lot of 
it's not a lot of like tension and not a lot of problems <laughs> as like a real character. So while the the fight with Harry was honestly kind of cringy to watch, I was also like, actually, I really like this because it shows me that Charlotte and Harry do fight. They are real people. They you know, fucking brawl about something seemingly insignificant, like uh, knocking someone down on a tennis court. Um, So I appreciated that. And the more that I thought about it, the more that like, I mean, I'm sure many, many folks can relate to having an argument, especially with a partner that isn't necessarily about the thing that you're arguing about. And for Charlotte here, it's not that it's about having to say to apologize and like diminish yourself in every single aspect of your life as a woman. And I would imagine particularly as, as a mother in a lot of ways, like, or maybe like as a, as a, a full-time mom, as Charlotte puts it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that Charlotte and yeah. And just like many, many aspects of her life has felt like she has to apologize for a lot or she has to, to serve other people or to make sure everybody around her is really happy. So like, this is the one moment where that kind of flares out. Like, I don't want to fucking apologize for this anymore. Like I, mm-hmm. I love the tennis court cause I can like be myself and it, yeah, whatever. Should she have apologized? Yeah, probably. Like she knocked the man to the ground. <laughs> like I appreciate it. Like when you, when you look at it for like that, that wasn't an argument about that. That was some, that was about something a lot deeper for Charlotte I want to see that explored more, you know, mm-hmm. like where, where's that coming from Charlotte? Because I like that and I connect to that in, in certain ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally, <laughs> I love that you point out. It's like so many or so often like fights with a partner, especially it's like, it's not about the thing that you're fighting about. Um, so they did while well, cringy um, and maybe not perfect. It, it definitely showed that sort of, real part of a relationship is like when you maybe just needed that time to yourself and they sort of infiltrated that or whatever that may be like they they showed that very real part of Charlotte and it's it's always these moments that we keep coming back to that that's when we connect with Charlotte it's like it's it's wonderful to see her thrive as a mother but at the same time it's it's hard to feel that like connection yeah, like some of my favorite Charlotte moments, and we've we've actually talked about this moment, like when she was er, like angry, like so viscerally angry and like lathering her hair in the shower, and, like comes out and yells at Trey um, for, you know, feeling like she has to work around his penis's schedule. Like that was, that was a really, really great moment with Charlotte. It was funny and it was just like, it was interesting. So yeah, mm-hmm. this... It felt it, it was a little clunky, but it was cl- it was executed in a clunky way. But it gives me hope for <laughs> what totally. could be explored. Yeah, yeah. I also think of that Charlotte scene when she has a fight with Samantha, so she goes for lunch with her sorority sisters, and she's like, "I just want to get fucked," and they're like, "What?" And she kind of like has this moment where she realizes like that sort of part of her is what makes her connections to her friends so strong. So or not just that, of course, but, you know, it's those like little moments with her that make her that make her really likable. Wait, was this up the episode where there is that weird dream sequence with Che and Miranda? I think so. Yes, it was. Or was I'll- that the episode before? I can't remember, but that haunts me. <laughs> <laughs> It's really weird. 
<laughs> it's very like I, I don't know, very infomercial or like commercial ish. Just what vacuum of time and space is this taking place in? Like it, <laughs> it was also very heaven like in a weird way. I don't know the uh, weird. <laughs> Yeah. And like they, they totally could have included that, like, you know, of course a dream sequence, but why did it look like that? Yeah. <laughs> very, very weird. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know, just, that was interesting. Interesting choices well, were made. <laughs> yeah. And this is also the episode where of course Miranda sort of, you know, she's been fantasizing about Che so she sort of like tries to rekindle her sex life with Steve. And it's just, I don't know. There's something, I feel like she could have tried a little bit harder. I don't know. The timing felt wrong. Like Steve was into it. Like it could have worked. I don't know. Maybe it was Miranda feeling like just kind of confused and, and not knowing what to do, but I just found that scene, like, of course, it was a little awkward and of course it will be awkward, but I just feel like she could have tried like a little bit harder. I don't know. Yeah, because the, the the sense that we got is that Miranda like kind of tried once and then left it, you know, left it there, <laughs> which, you know, as an audience member, I'm like, you're just going to try once. <laughs> um, and maybe there was like more attempts, but that wasn't really made clear in how they told the story. Mm-hmm. And as far as the sex dream of it all, I mean, <laughs> we want to talk about euphoria, like get them on the phone and shoot that thing on like film or something like that. <laughs> Even that could help pump up the the aesthetic of it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That one was a bit, I love the the word infomercial. It, it did feel a little infomercial. <laughs> yeah. Like what planet? <laughs> What planet is this happening on? <laughs> well, can we get into season or season episode eight? <laughs> yes. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Oh my gosh. Such a funny name. But this episode starts out so weird with that Pride thing with Che's comedy concert. I'm sorry, but this is like the saddest Pride I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's off-season Pride. <laughs> this Pride was not happening in June. <laughs> no, this this Pride was happening in the dead of winter. Like, it's it just, I don't know. It was so weird. And of course, Che's giving their comedy concert, which is already confusing um Miranda's there of course and uh Brady is there for some reason and well, like, he was in the allies section <laughs> yes yes this is this is why it was one of the reasons why it was so weird it was like okay you're not gay go to this side okay <laughs> like you're a gay man in the middle like it was just very it felt very forced it felt very much like it was written by someone who had never been to a pride event (laughs) Mm. yeah very smoking (laughs) non-smoking yeah choose (laughs) but of course this is when 
Che learns. So they sort of um, have that conversation with Miranda about how Miranda's not actually in an open marriage. And Che gets very like upset about this, which is, you know, that's rightful thing to get upset about. Um, and this is also the episode when Charlotte panics when Lily walks in on her and Harry and she tells Harry that she was checking daddy for testicular cancer. Um, and later they have a conversation about Lily's Instagram account, which I think is kind of, um, I think it's kind of an interesting dive. And then, of course, this is also the episode where Carrie meets her fabulous downstairs neighbor, Lisette. Um, and I kind of love the scene when Carrie can't sleep because they're like partying on the porch because I, I was like, I'd be so mad. <laughs> I'd be so mad if they were making that much noise. I don't know if I'm where Carrie's at right now in my life. Maybe that's the sort of connection I have to her. But um, I love when Lisette goes back to apologize the next day and Carrie's like, she gets kind of defensive and she's like, well, you know, like I do normally stay up late. And she has this sort of like awkward, like she wants to feel cool. I kind of love that moment. Um, and of course, at the end of this episode, Miranda tells Steve that she wants a divorce and just flies to Cleveland to see Che. Chaos, continued chaos. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Um. Yeah. So I. Where Where do I want to start with this? Um. I really appreciate Lizette. I actually really like that character. I think there's there was a lot of new characters introduced, and I almost wish some of them, you know, some of those like kind of side characters, like you think of Jackie and and Smoke or. Uh, like all of the many people who work at the podcast for some reason I, I know so much about. Like I, I wish that Lizette had a little bit more airtime because I think she's a really interesting foil to um, who Carrie was in her, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, 20s, 30s, that era. Um, and that's like, that could be kind of like an interesting thing for Carrie to, to see and explore. Like um, somebody who is a hot, fashionable it girl, you know, just moved to New York, like exploring that, that dating aspect of her life. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciated that. It, it was kind of, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Carrie really trying to, to be cool <laughs> with Lizette. There's like, in some ways I kind of like it, but in other ways I'm just like, girl, like, sleep is cool. Like just go to sleep. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't need an excuse. You don't need context. Like you're tired and that's okay. That's, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder if it is sort of like, you make a really good point that she is a really good foil to sort of Carrie's younger character. And I wonder if it's that sort of like Carrie trying to grasp at that. You know what I mean? Like she's sort of like, it's not so much about her appearing cool for Lizette. It's more about her like having that sort of connection to her younger self again, like uh, herself before big, herself before all of this sort of happened when life may have seemed a little bit more simple or something. I don't, simple is not the right word, but um, I see what you mean. Like it, it, it is like, except that, 
<laughs> sleep is cool and that you, you know, they were being disrespectful of the space. But I think it was sort of Carrie like grasping at that, like, but this was me once. And I, I do love, I love the character of Lisette and I, I hope I would love to see more of her in the future. I would love to see them become friends. They do like a, like a Sunday afternoon coffee together or something, or like a, or like a Saturday night Cosmo or, you know, something like that. Like I, I do actually, I'm very, I mean, we'll get into it in the next episode, but Lisette does seem to sort of look up to Carrie in a way. And I think that that's totally believable. And I think that that's actually a pretty strong foundation for them being friends. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There, there's some aspect of like Carrie really, yeah, like you said, really looking at Lizette and like, that's who I could have been or who I was. Um, and Lizette also looking up to Carrie. So I would, I would love to see that explored like a little bit more. Um, but even just in, in Carrie's overall storyline of like, who am I without big? Like I'm processing grief. I'm processing the end of a marriage. Like even just hitting that point with Lizette a little bit more of like, oh, this is who I could have been without mm-hmm. big or like, what, you know, kind of that envisioning of like how life could have been different or um, I don't know, like some hope for the future of how it could be. Like even Lizette, like telling Carrie, like, you're so fabulous. Like I had no idea that you were married or whatever. Like maybe Lizette just thinks that Carrie is this like fabulous upstairs neighbor who, you know, has a wonderful life too. So like that could also be really helpful for Carrie to, to hear and not just think like, you know, because you're, you're in your fifties and your spouse died that like, that's, that's where life stops. You know, like there, there are still people that look up to you and yeah, I guess, I don't know, like with Lizette too, that kind of strikes me as that younger, like millennial audience that like grew up watching the show and just like, I, I really do. Like I, in a lot of ways I look up to you, Mm -hmm. Carrie, maybe (laughs) in terms of some of her choices on the original show, not so much, but, um, in other ways, yeah. Like you look up to the lifestyle, right? Totally. Yeah. And I wonder if that's why they introduced her. (laughs) They were like, how are we going to collect, connect to our millennials? (laughs) Cause we sure as hell ain't with our main characters. Um, one moment in this episode that was really cringy for me was, um, when they have the conversation or when Carrie has the conversation with Seema about Lizette and we, we hear some like really negative language surrounding sex work, which was always a problem in the series. They always, you know, used words that were not okay. And, and I think that, you know, they really tried to nail the head or they really tried to address these sort of issues. But then it, this for me really came out of left field. Uh, when Seema calls her, she calls her like, she says she's probably a high class Russian hooker or something like that. Um, and I just think that they could have taken a little bit more care to just a not write that in <laughs> or be just like, I don't know. I think they should have left that out personally. Yeah, it was it was a lazy joke. It was it was, it was a lazy joke. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't funny. Um, yeah, and <laughs> this the scene with Miranda and Steve when Miranda tells him she wants a divorce is like it's so funny because Jamie hated Steve throughout the whole Sex in the City series. She hated, hated, hated Steve. Um, 
but there is a lot of sympathy for him in this scene. And I actually think that he did such an amazing job with those lines and just, it was so heartbreaking. Just like I've rallied for us. We've been through struggles and I'm, I'm happy to be where we're at. I'm happy to come home to you and sit on the couch and I'm not going to rally for us again. I just like, like I'm old and I'm tired and I'm not going to rally for us again. I was like, <laughs> I was like me too, Steve. I just want to sit on the couch and have a lit Sunday bar. <laughs> That's all I want. But, you know, I'm not Miranda exploring herself in her 50s. So I don't know. I I thought that was really well done. I loved the scene where Miranda basically tells... uh, That sounds weird to say you love such a sad scene, but I just think it was... The character was so good. Yeah, that was... It, and it was particularly sad as well because they were really setting up that like, well, Steve knows this is coming too. Steve Steve has to know that this marriage is, you know, kind of not not doing so well. And then he didn't. And he was actually really happy with where things were at. And it was just so, it's just really sad. Like that kind of end of a relationship is, it's just so heartbreaking like it because steve is right like miranda deserves to explore and find out what she really wants but also like miranda you put this man so much and that like steve's lines there really made me think about the arc of their relationship throughout the show and he's Mm -hmm. fucking right like miranda was constantly like you're not enough for me you're you're too much of a child or actually no like i really want to try and make this work like that like i really really want you steve like fuck debbie i really want you um I'm like, oh, maybe like, let's co-parent. Like it was always so much like, you're not enough, you're enough, you're kind of enough. All of that up and down. And as Steve, I would be fucking exhausted. I I would just want to sit on the couch. Like, just give me my TiVo and like my Knicks game and like, let it be done. You know, like I, I I get it. Like I got, I got his side of it as well. Mm -hmm. And there's something too, like, when people love each other so much and like Steve and I mean, he been kind of gets into it. Like he loves Miranda, but also knowing that a relationship isn't working, like there's something that's just so much more poignant about that than, you know, somebody cheats on somebody and then they don't trust each other and they break up or like whatever, you know, like a very dramatic, there's something that's like particularly heartbreaking and, and makes you feel when it's like, you know, they love each other, but like, it just didn't work. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was quite well done. You want to talk about Charlotte and Lily's Finsta and. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Is that what, is that what a fake Instagram is called a Finsta? So I'm unclear. <laughs> I'm unclear <laughs> if it means that it's a fake Instagram account, like it's a you know a, a private one, or if it means just friends and like a friends and family Instagram account. So one that's like private and not public. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What do you think about that scene and that conversation? I'm just so happy that I didn't grow up in a time. like my parents are that clued into my online activity and like following me and stuff because it's just like 
like I, I don't know. It seems very, it seems very awkward. Cause like, I, I want Lily to like explore, I don't know, be able to like explore herself. And that's like the, I think that can be like a really big benefit of social media is like finding your voice and exploring who you are in like this division of the internet where you kind of get to determine like how you present yourself and your, I don't know, the photos that like you share and like the the thoughts that you share, whatever, like you kind of get to like curate that part of yourself and maybe like figure out part of yourself along the way as well. Mm-hmm. But just the thought of like a parent kind of like helicoptering like over that is very stifling to to think about like (laughs) um but also very protective because online is like the internet is fucked like it's so (laughs) fucked up and people just don't understand how how your information is shared and like who can who can get it and like that everything posted on the internet like fucking lives forever Mm -hmm. um like teenagers especially really don't get that so I also get Charlotte like I don't really think that that was Charlotte's angle she was more just like appalled about the sexiness (laughs) of the photos um but yeah it was just uh, I don't know I don't it was weird like it felt very much like this is a thing happening nowadays. We must include this sort of storyline. Yes. And you're absolutely right. The internet is fucked. I feel like we grew up on sort of the cusp of that. Like I definitely remember being a teen and having like Nexopia and stuff, but never to, you know, never to the same like sort of degree it is now. Um, but even they in an earlier episode, like Rock says to Charlotte, like, oh, I like posted a my TikTok. Like you didn't see my TikTok. And I just can't like my mom, <laughs> she'll probably listen to this. Like my mom doesn't even have Instagram or like no, it, it's just it's such a different world. And it really made me feel like not that I felt connected to that generation anyways, but it really made me feel that disconnect in that yeah. moment. Like it really made, I was like, wow, I am so much older and I have no understanding (laughs) of this generation, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's like, and yeah, that generational divide as well, because like my my parents don't, they don't know social media. They're not on social media. I'm thankful every single day for that, to be honest. but yeah, it was just kind of that like weird awkwardness of a generation that is like kind of aware of it, like maybe kind of on it, but like not fully understanding of like how kids are using it. And I think really the through line of that story is Charlotte grappling with like the naive aspect of Lily right. as a child versus um, somebody who's growing into their sexuality. And, mm-hmm. and we kind of see that in the next episode as well was like Lily and her period. So Lily's kind of on that cusp of like, somebody who's beginning to explore who they are sexually. And for Charlotte, that's obviously very challenging to think about um, for, for any parent, but you know, what is it, what does it mean for your child to be presenting themselves like online in a certain way, exploring those aspects of their identity. They're not telling you about um, entering like into sexual relationships and stuff like that. I wish that that was the focus more rather than like the pearl clutching of like, a kind of like sexy like workout wear photo <laughs> you know yeah and they they do kind of again they they the friends like Miranda Charlotte and Carrie talk about it over lunch and 
and Charlotte, I do like how she is a little bit self-reflective here. She's like, well, you know, my, I would, I didn't have that space to explore and I didn't even know anything growing up. Like my mom would never talk to me about that kind of stuff. So I think we do see that like a, a teeny tiny bit um, of her sort of like grappling with that herself, but yeah, it's, it, it did feel a little bit like, okay, we have to put this in there. <laughs> yeah. And the note that it landed on too, of like, oh my gosh, thank God, thank God Lily's still a child and like, doesn't understand that I wasn't actually checking daddy's penis for cancer. <laughs> like she didn't get it. Oh my gosh. Like, thank goodness. Um, it, lovely embrace and just end of episode, you know, like I wish that I don't know. It felt kind of like, like we've talked about before that really neat wrap up of a mm-hmm. unexplored mm-hmm. storyline. Mm-hmm. And that was an opportunity to sort of allow Charlotte and Lily to have that adult conversation. Cause Lily is what? 16. Yeah, I, I think. think so. 15 or 16. Yeah. And so I, I think that's totally an appropriate time. If you're, if you know, and that's not, Charlotte is an incredible mother, but like continue to be an incredible mother and be there for your daughter and like talk to her when she needs help or like you not, sorry, not when she needs help, but like when she's going through something that she's going to go through, um, be that role model for her. Totally. And so we also got, so at the same time that this is kind of beginning to be explored as Lily, we also have Brady, who's like a horn dog and like having sex like left, right and center, you know? So I actually do think that if we're going to bring kids into the storyline of these characters, that it is kind of interesting to have one child who's like fully going for it with his sexuality and then one of them who's just kind of beginning that journey like that that is quite relevant to to the show and I also like I yeah I I totally I totally hear you like I I really really appreciate Charlotte as well being like I want to be that kind of mother who explains this to my children in a way that you know I never got as a parent and there's something to be said as well that like it's it is important to address these things before you even think that they're happening and by the time like your kid is bringing it up it probably is already already happening right Mm -hmm. so yeah like I I really appreciate that intention and like just like my own my own experience with like (laughs) learning about like sexuality and like body parts and how shit works and stuff like I'm actually really thankful for like how early my mom like brought that stuff up and like normalized it in a way that like you know, I, like, it was always just like, yeah, I know this, you know, it was never mm-hmm. like, I guess I'm, I'm more jumping off to like the, the tampon situation of it all, but, <laughs> and like the, the physical reproductiveness of, of sex, but like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it felt very much like a hint of a storyline that could be really interesting and like mm-hmm. part of this like overall universe, but then it, yeah, like I said, it wasn't fully explored. Well, maybe they'll come back to it in season two. <laughs> yes, maybe Lily has an OnlyFans by that point. <laughs> oh my god. Don't give them any ideas. <laughs> what are you doing with the Madame Alexander dolls? <laughs> oh my god. I don't even fucking know. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh. I love it.
let's get into episode nine, unless you had something about episode eight. No, let's let's do it. No strings yeah. attached. No strings attached. The tampon episode. Um, this is the one where Miranda, of course, recruits Charlotte and Carrie to help paint the women's shelter in Brooklyn. Um, and then this is Carrie has a little bit more development with Lisette when she posts the picture of her ring on her Instagram, which makes her again be a little bit self-reflective on her own wedding ring. Um, this is when Rock begins to show some resistance to Jewish traditions. Uh, and of course, Charlotte teaches Lily how to use a tampon. Anthony brings a date who says the Holocaust was a hoax for dinner, which was kind of a funny scene, but also really seemed out of place for me. Um, Carrie and Peter meet again, but decide that they're not ready for a date yet. And Miranda shows up to surprise Che with cookies and then Che gets they have the weirdest argument ever um at the shelter ltw and sema show up to help and of course naya who i think started the whole thing anyways um steve and then i actually love this scene when steve tells carrie he'll sort of always consider himself married to miranda and he but he's like happy for her and it's like she deserves that space to explore her herself and her sexuality and also when he rescues carrie's wedding ring from the drain and that scene always makes me laugh because again i was watching this with jamie and when it fell down the drain i was like oh god duh, the shock i am shocked and jamie's like it's in the tube <laughs> she's like it 100 is is fine and i was just like that's just something i would have absolutely no idea um, but then that's when Carrie sort of starts to take this step forward. Um, and she puts her wedding rings away and then asks Peter for another date. Um, but this period storyline, or I guess it's not really period because of course Lily's already been getting her period for a few years, but Charlotte like teaching Lily how to use a tampon. I kind of loved it. I thought it was very cute. Cute? Is that the right word? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And like necessary, like as much as I am appreciative of all that <laughs> I learned, how to insert a tampon was not fucking one of them. <laughs> and like, that is very confusing without, it can be very confusing if like you don't understand like how that process works or if like somebody doesn't show you. So yeah, like, th and there was some, like some funny beats with how Charlotte was explaining that to Lily I think Lily's like panic of not being able to find the string and stuff was a little that was that was a little over the top for me but I agree with you like that yeah that was like yeah it was kind of funny kind of sweet like for for their relationship as well it was a nice mom moment like after having the the previous episode sort of wrap up with like oh and thank god she didn't find out about you know sex with you know, her parents having sex or whatever. And then it was a very real, like I too didn't have anyone show me how to use a tampon. And I swear to God, I struggled with tampons my whole life. I don't use them to this day, but <laughs> I just like, it was a very, it was, a, it was another good moment. It was a good mom moment TM for Charlotte. Yes. <laughs> fully agreed like literally putting dinner on hold to like fully walk your child through this process wonderful love that commitment <laughs> yeah and I I liked in the beginning when they're having 
lunch. They're having some sort of meal together, Charlotte, Carrie, and Miranda. And we see the return of smug Charlotte. I kind of loved that interaction with the characters to sort of, again, they're eating together. They're having a meal together out in public, away from their families and away from the external things. And this is where we feel those like strong moments of friendship that I think stand out so much from the original series. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of like, yeah, that's that's a very I don't know. I, I appreciate it's like that take on on a menopause storyline, especially after the hot fucking mess that was the second movie. Like, I don't want to hear about this again in that same way. Please don't repeat that. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciated like how they tackled that and like Carrie and Miranda have already gone through this. Like that's, it's one and done. Like we don't have to, we don't have to go through that again. Um, and then the way Charlotte goes through it is kind of like, yeah, I, again, there's some, there's some levity there in a way that is a little bit more digestible than Samantha in the second, the second movie, less clownish. Yeah. Oh gosh. That second movie. I feel like we need to have our episode on the second movie. <laughs> Well, it's going to be such a dark episode. (laughs) It's so so dark. It's so dark. But we'll talk about it one day. (laughs) Yes. So one thing I really liked about this episode is that they all finally meet. They all come together. Like we see LTW and Naya and uh, Seema and Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, the, the children, like all of them come together. I really, really liked that. That was just such a, it was nice to finally see some of these, you know, satellite relationships collide and actually kind of make sense. Like LTW coming in and being like, I brought my camera because I'm a documentarian and this would be like really helpful for your website. And I being like, fuck yeah, that's like a really good idea. And like having them connect about that, like it was just such a good synergy of like all of these different kinds of of stories and um, like smaller parts of that universe coming together. Yeah, I 100% agree. And again, even just like sharing a lunch at a food truck, like outside and having like real conversations with each other with Naya. And yeah, I thought... It definitely brought their sort of fantasy, not fantasy, but these sort of like relationships that have been developing, it definitely brought them together in a way that I felt built like a, or is starting to build a strong foundation for that continuing into season two. Um, I would love to see them have like, because we talked about at the end, I don't remember the exact episode, but in Sex and the City where they all have dinner with, the Russian and like that's such a rare scene to see even like to see those sort of lives overlap that their relationships are so independent from their friendships which are of course so independent from their families which don't even seem to exist Mm -hmm. um but it's so nice to see them actually come together and have these sort of interactions with each other and and even like 
I loved that scene with Carrie and Steve, like, because they've known each other for forever. They've been friends and we don't normally see that on screen. We have these little snippets here and there, but it kind of made me think of that. <laughs> I mean, different context completely, of course, but even that scene where Carrie's sitting on the step with Steve, where she's sort of like half stalking Aiden, but they, they have this like very real connection. And I, you know, you have that with your friend's partners. They, I mean, we met through our partners basically. And like, it's, I like, I really love seeing that come together and it just makes it feel a little more real. Mm -hmm. Totally like more real, more connected. Just like I, I understand how all of these different things fit together in the same world versus like, this must be like we only can explore Charlotte and LCW like separately when they're alone together, like, and Steve and Miranda can only exist together. Like it's, it's just, it's nice. And yeah, it's, it also builds like a lot of, a lot of just like potential for it's it, like, it, it, I guess it expands like the room that you can grow with, with all of these characters too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to see more, of that sort of overlapping interactions, even like, like because Che and Carrie have that connection because they were originally friends and worked together. Like maybe Carrie talks to Che about something with Miranda in season two, just like all these sort of like satellite friends becoming more like on the forefront, I think would be really cool to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Um, any other highlights from this episode? I didn't have too many. Well, I just love that um, when Seema kind of shows that there, there were actually like quite a few funny lines um, throughout this episode. And I really appreciate when Seema shows up and she meets like the, the owner of the, mm -hmm. the bar or the, the club. I, I don't remember if they, they say his name, but that's Tony from Prada. Like, Yes. A little connection to the original show in a way that I'm like, is this intentional? Like, are you the same character? Or like, <laughs> was this like, was this a purposeful, like, yeah, just call back to, to another character on the original show. And the original show did like recycle some actors in, you know, different roles and stuff. Like Justin Throw is a really good um, mm -hmm. example of somebody who played multiple roles. But um, I just like, I don't know, I really liked that. And I want to believe that that is Tony from Prada living his second life as a club owner rather than working at Prada. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would actually love to see that in the second season that it like comes out like somehow Charlotte and Carrie actually meet him and they're like, oh my God, Tony, hi. And he's just like, that's not my name anymore. He's like, that was a different life. Like, I would love to see it. <laughs> totally. And like, you know, if that isn't your life anymore, like where is all the Prada stuff? Like, yeah. is that available? Is that on Poshmark? <laughs> Can I buy it? Um, so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, I feel like there is one more thing I wanted to bring up with this episode. Uh, oh, Miranda, Miranda and Che, like that kind of like confrontation, because that was kind of a bit of a bait and switch, right? In the last episode, we think that Miranda is going to Cleveland. Uh, that doesn't happen. 
and then she kind of shows up at Che's apartment and apartment in this episode. Uh, and we're kind of almost led to believe that Che is with there with somebody else. Like, I don't know. That's what I really expected with this scene. That's what I expected with her going to Cleveland. Like I expected her to walk in and she yes. was with another person. That's, and then, and then it didn't go there, <laughs> which was really strange, but I really loved when Miranda was like, who, what am I doing? Like, who the fuck am I? Meg Ryan? <laughs> fuck. Like, I thought that That's was really line. funny. And that was Miranda. Like that, oh, you know, that was, that was nice. such a good line. And you brought this up to me when we were watching it. Um, in the very first scene, when we meet Che, they say like, I'm a polyamorous, bisexual, like non-binary, blah, blah, blah. But they don't allow a lot of room for that exploration. Like, honestly, I would love to see Che like explore that polyamory and they never really they kind of it's almost like it returns to that sort of like traditional like you know monogamous relationship style like where is the difference and I I appreciate the scene where Miranda shows up unannounced um and you know they kind of get into a tiff about it or whatever but yeah I like some I'm sorry, but somebody should have been there and somebody should have been in Cleveland because they weren't dating because, you know, like it, it was just a weird setup at the very beginning of the show to just have it be a little more of a traditional courting, if you will. Um, I think they could have, I think they could have brought a little more, I, I think they could have made that a bit more interesting. Completely. And especially in terms of like exploring different dynamics of queer relationships, like polyamory is a really, really big part of that. So it's weird that it's mentioned and then it's not explored and it's not given like room to to breathe like on the show. And also this wasn't something that was fully explored in the original series. Like that would be a really, really interesting thing to be able to, yeah, to explore in, in and just like that. And, you know, even just like, the more that like I've like learned about polyamory as well, like somebody once explained it to me as an orientation. Like I like you are like a polyamorist, and that's that's just who you are. Like that's 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 what you that's what you want to do. So it's like also really like weird if like that's what Che identifies as like non-binary, polyamorist, uh, bisexual, like, and then all those different pieces are just kind of like dropped and they can sideline that aspect in, in favor of like, like you said, just a more like traditional <laughs> relationship with Miranda, which they keep saying like, I don't expect traditional from me. And that equates to like, I love you, but like, I can't commit, but like, I'm not sleeping with anybody else, but like, just remember I can't commit. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of talk about, but like not as much a action. Like it, yeah. it, it feels very weird. It feels like, like you said, like they just, said the writers just are like yeah throw polyamory in there that's a new topic that people are doing and talking about and then but they didn't actually address it in that way so far che in and miranda's relationship has been pretty linear like in a in a traditional way in my opinion i don't know it nothing about it has felt very like 
other than Miranda totally losing herself in the finale, which we'll get into to sort of like go to LA. It's just, I don't know. It, it, it was a lot of talk and not as much action. I would have loved it. I was 100% convinced when Miranda was going to Cleveland that she was going to show up and Che would be with somebody else. And that's what I was expecting. And I think that's what would have made sense. A hundred percent. And that's what makes the show really confusing was because all of those pieces were there to lead so many people to believe that. And then, no, I'm, like, I'm here with somebody myself. <laughs> I'm writing yes. with myself. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fucking weird. But, <laughs> um, I think that, like, I think that's what really reminds me. I can't remember if we talked about this off off the pod or if we talked about this in the last episode, but there that is one similarity between Che and Miranda's relationship that really reminds me of Big and Carrie. Was just like this person who seems kind of accessible, but not really. Like, I can't commit, but like, no, like I'm not sleeping with anybody else, but like I'm not going to call you my girlfriend. Um, I'm not, I don't want to like label this and like just a lot of confused messaging, which seems to strike that similar. Which is, which is funny that you're comparing it to an incredibly heteronormative style relationship, but yet it's supposed to be this sort of like new and exciting and different and like non-traditional sort of way. But we see so many of those similarities with Carrie and Big. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but anything else about episode nine? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, I'm very excited to get into the finale because it's a wild one. Um, episode 10, Seeing the Light. Carrie is disappointed by her goodnight kiss with Peter. Oh my gosh. Can we just get into this? <laughs> so mad. So, so mad. mad. And like, okay. It's fine if there's no chemistry. That's fine. I get that. But don't blame the fact that he asked to kiss you on losing that chemistry. Holy fuck. I was so incensed i was enraged because i watched that and peter does the thing that we never see characters do peter asks for consent before just like going in and kissing carrie that's like we never fucking see that in media we especially don't see that in media aimed at like young people and teenagers and stuff like there's just no normalization of that concept yet at the same time that's something that we we're taught like you should you should be doing this like you should expect to do this but it's really hard to fucking do that when you never see any examples of it and you never see it normalized so i saw that and i was like oh fucking rad peter asks for consent and it doesn't seem like to me i saw that and i was like yeah that seems like i I would like to kiss you right now like that it didn't seem too clunky it didn't seem too awkward and then i hated how carrie walked away from that moment was like it felt like a contract like there was just no like really reinforced some of those some of that stereotypical thinking that like asking for consent is this like awkward clunky thing that like feels bad and like it takes like the steam out of the moment and stuff like it just felt so counterproductive to this huge piece of education that is actually really important for people to see and to normalize and to fucking practice. And I was so mad at Carrie, this relationship expert, the sex columnist who like 
has a consensual kiss. And then it's like, it wasn't hot. It felt, it felt like a contract. Like I was so mad at that. I was so mad. Like to me, that tells me that Peter is a good person. He is a person worthy of like further exploration. Like you said, it's okay if there's no chemistry, that's fine. But like, that was such a good mark of character for me. Oh my gosh. Just 100%. <laughs> I, yeah, they could have just, she could have just said, oh, I just don't know if I like him. Why did they have to add, you're right. Like, why did they have to add in that extra conversation where it was like, oh, it just wasn't hot. I don't know. I don't know. Like, oh yeah. Very disappointing. Super, super disappointing to see in a 2022, 2021, 2022 series. Like, can we go back to Charlotte and the guy that had like an enormous mouth that like ate the lower <laughs> half of her face and like how uncomfortable that was for her, like in that moment? Like, <laughs> it's actually, you know, that that is... Oh, it's just, it's important to have so that you avoid moments where you feel really fucking uncomfortable kissing this other person, you know? Well, yeah. And, and you're right. Like it just re we never see that in media in a normalized way and continue to not see it in a normalized way. And uh, I mean, that's something like I even have a pretty strong and solid understanding of, but still struggle with to this, like to this day. So it's like, what are we teaching? What are we teaching the young people? I feel sometimes I feel so old. <laughs> what are we teaching Gen Z? Um, but yeah, just like really incredibly disappointing and hard to see. And it's like, Peter is great. Peter is so fucking great. Um, but anyways, any other rant about that? I don't want to stop you. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I don't know. Like, I, is that weird for me to latch on to? That was no. just like immediately, like what I picked up on this episode and like Same. one of my most major critiques of it. <laughs> oh, I, no, I also latched onto that and was like, I rate, like I, I was pretty upset when I was watching that. Um, of course, also in this episode, so Carrie sees Big in her lamp and thinks that he's speaking to her from his bed and cigar in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, I kind of, so people are really critical of Miranda when she's like, come on, Carrie, like you believe in heaven and and I get it, like Carrie's going through this time of grief and stuff like that, but I kind of, I don't know, I kind of liked that felt like Miranda to me. It it felt a little mean. It felt a little meaner than what Miranda typically was. However, to me, that felt that them sort of having this questioning back and forth. I sort of appreciated that conversation about spirituality because I feel like they hadn't had it before. And it was a topic that could be explored or like could be addressed. But um I liked feeling like Miranda was her critical self. Does that make sense? She took information that she didn't agree with and she she sort of like latched onto that. Like I said, she was a little mean about it. She was a little mean. She could have been nicer. But I, I liked that moment where they're talking about like, oh, you really believe in heaven. Like you really believe that big sitting up in a cloud right now smoking a cigar. And Carrie's like, yeah, well, I mean, I like to believe that. Um, 
I don't know. I, I feel like I was rambling a bit, but I, I felt like that conversation was like heavily, heavily sort of criticized. And I, to me, despite the meanness felt like Miranda, I, I appreciated like them opening up that dialogue to a, a conversation about that. I completely agree. And like when I saw that conversation play out, I was like that that's Miranda. That's like the practicality of Miranda. Like I can see that. I can hear that happening in a sex in the city episode that explores those aspects of, of spirituality and like the afterlife and stuff. And actually like that's something that I think was really missing for me throughout this series as a whole, were kind of those uniting themes in all of the episode. Like we saw that really, really strongly with sex in the city where they would take a theme I don't know. One of the easiest ones is when they all had like similar like junior high-esque experiences as as adults, right? Like that was a theme that touched on all of the characters and all of their storylines. And there wasn't that same sense of a theme throughout any of these episodes and like how all of these characters were kind of united and like what they were um what they were exploring. And like I guess spirituality and in this episode is kind of explored in a couple of ways, but, but yeah, like that, that to me was like, oh, that's a coffee shop conversation. That's a brunch conversation that they would have had. And then, yeah, like all three of these characters or all four of those characters would have like gone off and had storylines that evoked that, that question of like, do you believe in the afterlife kind of thing? Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that to me was another, it was a callback to the original series and was something that like just, made it very apparent of like how much I miss how much I miss that from from these episodes as well totally yeah I I felt Miranda's presence there which I so appreciated also Miranda let us remember season four when you thought that you were being haunted by a ghost and you had to call Carrie over in the middle of the night with Oreos because you thought that a ghost was living upstairs so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, totally. Um, also in the finale, Che tells Miranda through a song that they're moving to California and they want Miranda to come with them. And Miranda says yes and abandons her prestigious internship. She has this, she goes into Naya's office and, you know, they sort of have this cheeky conversation where in the end, Naya's like, you follow your heart and it's okay. And, I don't know. <laughs> Just weird. Don't abandon your internship, Miranda. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it like that to me, that is I I hated that because that's like not that isn't I I yeah, I would never make that decision. <laughs> like I would prioritize like my myself and my career for sure. Um instead of following somebody to to LA. That seemed weird. It also kind of actually seemed like Carrie following Petrovsky to Paris in some ways. Yeah, like in the last episode of the of the original series, uh Carrie kind of like follows Petrovsky to to Paris and Miranda really interrogates her. Like, what are you gonna do? What about your life here? What about your career? You're just following this guy. Like you're gonna drop it all to follow this guy. So it felt kind of like the tables were 
flipped in a way with Miranda following Che to Hollywood uh, for their pilot and kind of leaving in the dust, like some other things that she had set up with her own career and her schooling and um, the life that she that she had in New York. That was kind of and we also kind of saw that um, that disagreement between Miranda and Carrie later in this episode um, at the at uh, Rock's Day Mitzvah. Um, where they kind of had a really, really similar conversation to um, how Miranda calls Carrie out. Like, what are you going to do in Paris all day? (laughs) Uh, Like sit and eat croissant and Carrie in in this uh, show says to Miranda, what are you going to do in LA all day? You're just going to sit and laugh. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a really interesting parallel and what strikes me about the conversation in the original series too is when Carrie goes she gets upset with Miranda and she says I can't stay here and be single for you and they kind of of course so they're having this conversation in the bathroom later and I love when Rabbi Jen comes out and is like basically and she basically points out like what I'm hearing is your two's relationship. It's like, it doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter, but like the focus here is the relationship between you two. And again, it kind of like parallels that conversation where it's like, Carrie says, I can't stay for you. Like, this is my life. And this is, and Miranda's sort of having this like moment where like, I need you here. Well, this is Carrie's moment where she's like, Miranda, I need you fucking here. My husband just died. Like, and our relationship is more important, not to say like one is or isn't, but like the relationship between Carrie and Miranda has such a stronger foundation and, you know, such a history that for Miranda to just get up and leave and go to LA, I get it. I, I totally, I get the like falling in love and you wanting to change your life for that person. But I don't know. I th- I think that they need to have that room to breathe. I and okay. This is <laughs> I was talking about this with Jamie today, of course, as we do, and we're like, Miranda's gonna go to LA, and Chase gonna be so fucking busy with their pilot that they're not even going to be able to spend time together. So why not? Why not? Here's an idea: try your relationship from a distance. You finish your internship. If things continue to work out well, then go to LA. Why why are you sacrificing your life and something really important that seemed so important to you in the beginning of the season and now that's just completely off the table? Um, If it's going to work, it's going to work. Like... I'm sorry. I just, I was very, I I mean, I think many of course of the fans were disappointed, but I just like thinking of the logistics about it. You're not even going to see Che anyway while you're there. (laughs) So I was getting very frustrated about that this morning. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's, it's baffling. And, you know, if they had like really established like both of those characters in more of a relationship rather than like the whirlwind romance of it all, like maybe I could buy Miranda like really wanting to make an effort to make this work and, and follow them to, to Hollywood. But 
yeah, just like from what I've seen so far, it seems like you just got together with this person and then you want to give everything up to to go follow them. It just it seems like a not very reasoned decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not it's not only out of character for Miranda. I just think it's out of character for lots. Of, this is some like 90 day fiance shit. <laughs> and I am a huge fan of 90 Day Fiance, but like these are not well adjusted people. <laughs> Anyways, that could be what a whole if, other. <laughs> what if Che bases their pilot on their relationship with Miranda? Like, wouldn't that be wild if Miranda's sitting in the audience and she's like, it's like very. <laughs> not to bring back you for it well I guess actually you haven't seen it so I won't bring it up but like Miranda sitting in the audience and it's just like is this me like is this is this character supposed to be me is this like a parody of who Che thinks I am oh my god I would love to see that that would be wild <laughs> <sighs> what a wild ride but yes okay so Charlotte hires Rabbi Jen, who we, of course, love. We even, she's our crush that we stated in our Valentine's Day mini-sode. We love Rabbi Jen um, to do Rock's Day Mitzvah, to which Rock refuses to participate. So Charlotte takes her place. Sorry, their place. I just, like, we, I don't know. This This is, again, like, a generational divide or something, but... Um, why didn't Rock tell Charlotte a few weeks before? <laughs> uh, I I was really frustrated. If you don't want to do a like a they mitzvah, if you don't want to go through like that whole thing, like fucking tell your parents that are probably spending like tens of thousands of dollars to orchestrate like this whole thing. Like like tell them, like have that conversation with them before the day of when you're in your suit, like about to go up and read the Torah, like tell them before that, before that point, I was really, really frustrated with just like the seeming like entitledness of rock to be like, I'm not going out there and doing that. Just like, do you not see all of this around here? That's like created for you. Like, I don't know. Could you not have let them know before that? Like that, that was another, <laughs> that was a similar moment to when they expected both uh, or Charlotte and Harry to, um, to have watched their TikTok and understand that they're using different pronouns and a different name now. <laughs> um, it just, uh, I, I yeah. didn't really love that. But what I did love is that Charlotte, yeah, took their place and had her moment in the sun because she went through all of that conversion. She like studied really, really hard to um to to be part of Judaism for like Harry and like she worked so hard to achieve all of that. So it is kind of cool that she had um her own celebration of of that. And I also thought it was kind of a cool parenting move as well to to take that spot because I can also see in a different universe, Rock says, I don't want to do this, like call the whole thing off. Mm -hmm. And a parent saying like, okay, I'm going to go out there and tell everybody that you don't want to do this. And that we're all going home and this party is like over and kind of, you know, blaming it on the child and having mm -hmm. everybody else at this massive party, like understand like, oh, this was this was their decision. So, you know, kind of being aware maybe more of that 
of that rift. But instead, Charlotte's like, no, I'll just do it. And we'll still have a party. And, you know, we'll make the most out of the situation and kind of take some of that maybe scrutiny or blame off of Rock and is like, no, this is still happening. So I, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And I, I can definitely appreciate that Rock doesn't want to participate in religion and doesn't want to be associated with any of these things. And they're exploring, I mean, they're at a very permeable age when they're exploring their own identity and all that kind of stuff. I can appreciate that, but I, <laughs> I just don't know if we can chalk up teen angst to telling your parents the day of like not even the day of, not even the morning of, like while you are there, I don't know, but you're absolutely right. Like the way Charlotte handles it and taking the blame off of rock and, and sort of, you know, really gracefully accepting the situation for what it is. And I even love the line. It's pretty cheesy, but I love when they're, um, when Carrie and Charlotte and Miranda are talking about going to Paris and she's like, Oh, but I'm a lady now. Like, it's just, it's really cute. And I think that Charlotte as usual handles the situation with a a great amount of grace and care. And, and it's, it's kind of like a cute way to wrap up a shitty situation. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. Mm. That tells me that we need to work on some communication in the Golden Platt households <laughs> between between child and parent. <laughs> True. Maybe beyond TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Beyond TikTok, day of, we need some we need some conversations happening before that. <laughs> um another thing that actually stepping backward a little bit, when Miranda talks to Naya and Naya tells Miranda that she is now living separately from Andre. I was like, season two, season two, they reconnect like Naya and Miranda, perhaps they reconnect while Miranda's in LA feeling alone and sad talking to Naya who's at home also feeling alone and sad. I don't know. Maybe they could bring that queer relationship back. If if it is a queer relationship, of course, because like we don't we don't know if that's like that that was the original intent of Naya's character, and if they're if they don't go in that direction, that's like that's totally fine. But yeah, sure. just like the 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 Naya being like single and Miranda being single, that to me is a great foundation to explore a connection and relationship between these two characters in a way that seems a little bit more comfortable than I'm your professor and I'm your student, right? Like if you're, if you're both friends and you're single and you're having like a fun time in the city, wonderful. I love that. And that's also very, uh, that, that is kind of aspirational in a way because you, there's, there's hope for like finding new friendships and and growing your friendship circle. And again, still like going out and having fun in, you know, in later stages of your life. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I, I agree like that, that to me is just like, oh, I, I hope that they do, they do give some more room and space for, for that relationship to grow together. Yeah. Um, and of course the season ends, well, we have kind of two main parts in the last part of this episode of the finale where Carrie goes to Paris, dumps the ashes in the Seine in her croissant dress. (laughs) I love that. But I, I don't know. What do you think about Big's ashes in the Seine? 
<laughs> I mean, there's probably a lot of other shit in the sun that is uh, grosser than that, but um, it felt kind of weird. It felt kind of weird because I it was hard for me to fully understand like why that bridge and like why Paris, like it didn't, I, I know that big originally like went to Paris and that was why they broke up one of their many times because Carrie didn't go with him. And then obviously Carrie ended up in Paris uh, at the end of the series and they kind of came and, and rescued her and, and that sort of thing. But I, in the context of their relationship, Big and Carrie, we actually have never really seen them in Paris together. So mm -hmm. to tell me as a very like clued in like fan of the show that this is their bridge and you know, this is a really special thing between them. It's kind of, it's, it's hard for me to like, to put that together. Like, of course, Carrie would want to go to, to Paris and, and spread Big's ashes like that. I don't know. It seems like a little bit disconnected, I guess, in like what we talked about last time with um, just how little we've actually seen them together as a couple and like really understanding what is important in their relationship and what were those really significant moments that were special to them. Mm -hmm. Also, it's illegal to spread ashes, isn't it? Carrie's breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I am fairly certain. I People do it. People definitely do it. My um, favorite Disneyland stories are reading about all the people that try to spread their loved ones' <laughs> ashes on the rides. <laughs> on the ride? Yes. Like Pirates of the Caribbean has like, you know, it's like a water kind of ride. You're in a boat, right? And people try to dump their ash, like their spouses or, you know, their whoever's ashes like in the water. And when that happens, they have to stop the ride and like clean up like the human remains from the water. Like people do this, like, you're so right. People do this all the time. I just, I, I think it's really wild to think about all of the different places that people do try to do it. <laughs> I just can't imagine wanting my ashes in, at Disneyland. Okay, I just thought of a weird first date question. If your ashes were spread on a ride at Disneyland, which ride would you want them <laughs> That is so telling. Oh my goodness. I I would have some judgments to make depending on how one responded to that. Oh my God, that's so funny. My dad's actually a really big Disney fan and he has told me like, I want to go out like on a ride, you know, I want to go out riding, <laughs> riding one of my favorite rides. Riding the Pirates of the Caribbean, baby. He'd probably be pretty happy with that, honestly. <laughs> there you go. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> um, but of course, the season wraps up with Carrie. She gets her podcast, Sex in the City, which is a really nice. I, I think it's I do. I like the very ending of this episode. And then, of course, kisses her producer, Franklin, in that sort of romantic, hot, passionate kiss or whatever. But I do, it's a bit weird, but I, I like the, like, I, I like that it feels like the morning of Big is over, hopefully, or at least like put behind us for now. And maybe in season two, like we talked about earlier, like she can actually really get into exploring that sort of dating and sex at 50 and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So overall, I liked, I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was like it was kind of chilling to have the the season. I was gonna say series, but that's bad. It's bad mojo for for season two. Um, mm. It was really like chilling to to have Carrie like almost kind of like look into the camera and be like, "And this is Sex in the City." It was it was definitely like a treat to to hear that and also to just kind of think of like, yeah, what would Sex in the City look like in the context of today and it absolutely would be a podcast carrie would be would be doing that no problem so i really liked that as well and again that that gives me hope for where things could go in in season two and exploring some of that Mm -hmm. and then the hot the hot kiss in the longest elevator uh ever (laughs) the tallest (laughs) elevator ever um the passionate kiss with the producer he's also really cute i'm i'm really sad that they did i feel like they did peter dirty a little bit with like how carrie talked about him um Mm -hmm. but i mean this this producer seems good (laughs) but how little we know about him (laughs) positive vibes i'll say that so far positive I didn't even know his name was Franklin. And then I'm just like reading reading the notes and I'm like, Franklin. <laughs> I I literally like I was looking it up, like just to remind myself of the episodes. And I was like, Franklin. When I first read that, I was like, who the fuck is Franklin? But yeah, that's that's his name. And it's spelled with a Y, which is interesting as well. Um, but yeah, he's cute, good vibes. Maybe we'll see more of him. Who knows? <laughs> Only to- <laughs> Is there anything else you want to talk about with the with and just like that as we wrap up? Others, oh, what did you think of Miranda going back to being a redhead? I didn't. I didn't like it. I honestly like they put so much time and effort into her. Like, you know, in the beginning when she's like, "I don't need to be this feisty young redhead," blah blah blah, and it just kind of assigned so much of that. Um, that's sort of like the symbolism of youth, like, you know, of having like the young hair, dyed hair, like not having gray hair, et cetera, et cetera. I just like, I don't, I don't think it was necessary. I also love her gray hair. Like, I think it's beautiful and stunning. And I, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? I was trying to figure out what it means. Like, because yeah. Miranda has said some other things throughout the show of like, well, can't I change? Can't I like go back to to who I was and then like come back again? Like, don't I have that room to to grow? And then, yeah, like you said, like the criticism that Charlotte was kind of trying to levy at Miranda from the first episode of like, you should you should have like red hair again. Like you should dye your hair. I, I was trying to figure out like what that all means. And like, does it mean that Miranda's like in a new phase of her life? Does it mean that Miranda's like, I want to be young and like youthful again? Or is she rebelling against, you know, this idea of being, you know, a certain age and being limited in, in what you're able to to explore? Like, I guess just the symbol, like there was some foundation work laid throughout the previous episodes for like why she made that decision. But it still seemed kind of like it didn't seem as much of like an oh, of course she did that. Like I wanted that to happen. Like that was that was coming for a long time. It was just kind of like, okay, 
Uh, yeah, I I agree. It didn't seem necessary, and it just yeah, like kind of confusing. What are you trying to say? Is a good way to put it. Confusing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like I love silver hair. I think it's great at any age. <laughs> um, yeah, and I agree with you. Like she looked great with with silver. I don't know, silver gray hair. Weird. It was weird. Weird and confusing, like many moments in the series. <laughs> <laughs> yes, confusing change. That is, yeah, mm -hmm. that is it. That is this series. <laughs> yeah. Well, despite all the confusing change, um, I was overall, like, really happy to see Carrie, Miranda, and Charlotte return for and Just Like That. Um, I was really happy with the new characters that were introduced, especially I just realized in my notes, I wrote Seema, LTW, Naya, Rabbi Jen and others. And I just realized I didn't include Che in that list. But, you know, that's OK. <laughs> che is an iconic character, like regardless of whatever the fuck intention was behind that character in the first place, like what has been created is uh, an extremely important cultural moment that like literally everybody is talking about. Che is an essential character to to the series. 100%. Yeah, it's true. I've I've been really happy seeing them back and like all the characters and I'm I'm optimistic about season 2. I think even despite some rocky rocky things, I think they have established a pretty good foundation and and I'm excited hopefully fingers crossed for season 2. Yeah, I I really hope that I mean there there has been so much commentary and of course like we're we're kind of part of that as well there's a lot of commentary a lot of critique a lot of like praise for the show and a lot of like questioning as to certain decisions and I just mm -hmm. really hope that you know if there is a season two that some of that is taken into account and like seen for not being not being necessarily like trying to tear the show down but trying mm -hmm. to like like, what can we take from this commentary, this critique, and apply to the show? Because, like, more so even than when the original series aired, like, there's so many more opportunities for people to, like, make it clear what they think about the show as it's airing. And, like, there's an explosion of of that available. So I think that's that's actually a really cool opportunity if you take it to to connect with the fans a little bit and, you know their thoughts on the show and kind of use that to inform where to go next. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, DM us a post-it note. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at don't hate us pod. And we will see you all next time. Bye.